It's in your name we pray. Amen. Ann Tyler used to be one of my favorite novelists back when I was reading novels more. And she had, she had a wonderful way of creating these eccentric characters that, that kind of won your heart and were easy to, to fall in love with. And I was thinking about one of her books this past week um, that I read a long time ago. Um, it's entitled Saint Maybe. Saint Maybe. It's a story of, of a young man named Ian Bedlow who at age 18 confronts his older brother. His older brother just got married, got married to a woman. It's her second marriage. She has three kids, and he is hopelessly head over heels in love with her. It's a beautiful marriage and a beautiful relationship. But Ian is home alone with his brother, and he confronts his brother with the truth that he found out. He found out that his brother's new wife is having an affair. And so that evening in the house, Ian tells his brother the truth, and and his brother's angry and upset, and they argue and they fight. And finally, his brother storms out of the house and, and hops in his car and screeches out the driveway and roars down the street. And moments later, Ian hears the crash of a car and realizes that tragedy has just struck. But his brother's dead. And, and Ian is just starting to, to process that guilt in his life following his brother's death. His secret guilt, because nobody knows about the conversation that he had. Nobody knows why his brother was racing down the street, except Ian. And his heart is filled with guilt and hurt. And he's only begun to process that when tragedy number two strikes. And, and his brother's wife suddenly dies as well, leaving behind three kids. She has no family. And so those three kids move into Ian's house with Ian and his parents. And... And his parents are, are, are getting up there in, in age, and they can't really care for those kids. So Ian drops out of his first year in college, gets a job, nine-to-five job, and becomes father to these kids, caring for them. He sacrifices his whole future there in order to love these kids. And only now does the plot of the novel begin to, to show because right? as Ian goes through the challenges of parenting these kids, really he's asked the, the email question that came through on my email. Who is he? Who is Ian? Right? Everyone around him, seeing what he's doing, thinks he's a saint. Right? They would call him Saint Ian if they could. Because here's Ian, 18 years old, who set aside everything to love these kids who weren't even his brother's kids, and yet here he is. What a saint. But Ian knows differently. He knows the story behind the crash. He knows what he's done. And he just sees himself as a sinner trying to find some way to make it right again. Who is Ian? Is he a saint or a sinner? Hence the title, Saint Maybe, right? I think that's the same struggle that we as believers find ourselves trapped in as well. It's a question that we ask either consciously or unconsciously. Who am I? Am I a saint or am I a sinner? Right? I, I took with me a book from my office. It's Fox's Book of Martyrs. There's about 500 stories here of people who are saints, of people who, who have sacrificed a lot, often sacrificed their very lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. And, and there's probably some areas in your life and my life, sometimes when, 
when we feel like we might just belong here, right? Where, where we feel like we're doing right, where we got our lives together and we're serving God well and we're making sacrifices for him and we're, we're going through the disciplines and yes, it's all coming together. And yet I'm also reminded every single day that I'm a sinner. I prove it to myself. I prove it to everybody around me day in and day out. I don't belong here. I'm a sinner, not a saint. So for the past three weeks, we've been listening to three word truths, three beautiful words about all of our spiritual stories. And we started with all of us being invited, right? You were invited, invited by somebody in some way to meet Jesus, to discover who he is. Invited by Jesus into the family, into the community of God. And all of us heard God, all of us who believe heard God say, yes, you belong here. You are mine. You belong. And all of us who have then accepted that invitation are left to wrestle with, okay, now who am I in this context. Who am I? I know who I was. You know who you were. I was a sinner, unworthy, guilty, and I know who I will be someday when Jesus comes again or, or, or when I die and I spend time in eternity with God. I will be a saint. I will be perfected. But where does that leave you and me right now? Who are we in this in-between, messy, already but not yet time? And that's the question we're going to explore this morning. Who are we? We're going to explore it through a story. A story found in Luke chapter 7. So if you want to take out your Bibles out, turn to Luke chapter 7, page 839. 839. Uh, This story here in Luke chapter 7 It reflects the first two pieces of our spiritual stories that we've already looked at together. And then it brings us to the third and final beautiful message that defines who we are, that tells our stories together. So I want you to listen to this encounter that Jesus had while having dinner with the Pharisees. Start at verse 36 with me of Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, 
Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The story here begins the same way our stories do. It begins with an invitation, right? We started by talking about I was invited. That's the first part of our spiritual stories, right? And the easy invitation in this story is to see the invitation that the Pharisee, Simon, gave to Jesus, right? This, this religious and political leader, Simon, invites Jesus to his house for dinner. And we don't know in this story exactly his motivation for inviting Jesus, but it's pretty clearly shown, and it's a pretty good guess, that his motivation was not real positive. Right? By the way he treats Jesus, he most likely invited Jesus there to trap him rather than to learn from him. But he gives the invitation anyways. But that's not really the invitation that's most important in this story. There's a whole bunch of other invitations that happen here. You see, at meals like these in that first century Israel, meals like these were not private events. We think about having a dinner party and we invite everybody in, then we shut and lock the doors. That's not the way it worked here. When, when, a, when a party or a dinner event like this happened with, with religious leaders and political leaders, it was a public event as well. People knew that they could come and they could stand around the edges, right? Remember, they're, they're sitting at, low, uh, at a low table, reclining on one elbow and eating with the other hand with their feet sticking out behind them. You could come and stand by their feet if you wish because the conversations that went on were really interesting. They, they were great opportunities to learn. And so people would come, stand around the edges and listen in. So the invitation was there. Hey, everybody, if you want to come to this dinner and listen in, you're welcome to come. There was also the invitation given to those who were really needy in town. If you want to come towards the end, you are invited to come as well. And if there's leftover food, you're welcome to take some home with you. Right? So, so that evening, one of the people who accepted the invitation to come and stand around the edges was this woman who had lived a sinful life, the Bible tells us. Okay, that's a euphemism. You probably know she was a prostitute. Sinful life means she was a prostitute. And interestingly, she was not responding to Simon the Pharisee's invitation because he certainly didn't invite her. She wasn't really responding to the culture's invitation. And she wasn't responding to the come and get some leftovers invitation either. She was there on Jesus' invitation. We can tell by the story that she had obviously met Jesus before. They had had conversation in the past few days. She had heard his message of grace. She had heard his message 
of forgiveness. She had heard him already invite her with all of her baggage, with all of her brokenness, with all of her sin, invite her into a new life with him. Instead of rejecting her, instead of judging her, instead of driving her away, he had invited her in. And so she accepted his invitation to follow Jesus. And wherever he was, she wanted to be. And wherever he was, he said, you are welcome. You belong. And that means she's here at this dinner, inside a Pharisee's house, someplace I'm sure she imagines she would never be. But hey, Jesus invited. And she's so moved by Jesus' invitation to a new life, to, to a, new, a new grace, that, that she's moved to tears as she's standing at his feet, right? His feet are sticking out. She's standing there, and, and she, begins, she begins to stand out from the crowd. Instead of in her tears and weeping, she doesn't just blend in. She moves forward, and she bends down, and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And she dries them with her long hair. And she pours her most expensive perfume on his feet. Everybody in that room would have been horrified. Would have been stunned. This is unbelievable. This is an unbelievable expression of humility and gratitude. And it's completely socially unacceptable. Simon, he is truly horrified. It's his house, it's his party, and he's horrified. And all he can think of while all this is going on is she does not belong here. She's ruining everything. She does not belong in my house. She's a, she's a prostitute. And any religious leader worth his salt would refuse to be touched by her. Because to touch her or to be touched by her would make Someone like Simon, someone like Jesus, ceremonially unclean. He has to go through all the rituals and all the time that it takes to be clean again before he can go into the temple. She didn't belong here in his house. She didn't belong at this dinner. And, and the fact that Jesus allowed her to touch his feet means that Jesus doesn't belong here either. It proves to Simon that Jesus is a fake, an imposter, a charlatan, because if he was truly a man of God, he would have known that she was an unclean prostitute, would have refused to let her touch, and would have pulled his feet away before, before she could touch. There's enough for Simon to make up his mind. Jesus doesn't belong. But really, he had made up his mind about that before the party even began. Because everything Simon did in this story, or didn't do, let Jesus know that he didn't really belong here. See, we're told that when Jesus arrived, he didn't have any water for Jesus to wash his feet. That, in that culture, was the minimum gesture of hospitality, right? To let your guests wash their feet. If you were an honored guest, then a servant would come and wash your feet for you. Because remember, the roads are dusty, they're dry, you're wearing sandals, and you're about to sit around this low table with your feet right near somebody else's food. So it's pretty important you get your feet washed. If you're an honored guest, a servant comes and washes your feet for you. At minimum, the water's there for you to wash your own. We're told that when Jesus arrived, there wasn't even water there for him. 
There was nothing. Simon's already saying, I'm not sure I really want you here. And and the, the, the accepted greeting when your guest comes to visit you, you know, if you open your door today to the dinner party, your friend comes in, you shake a hand, you give a hug. In that culture, it would be appropriate for Simon to give a, give a kiss on the cheek to his honored guest. Jesus arrives, there's no handshake, there's no hug, there's no kiss on the cheek. Often you give a little bit of, a little bit of oil for your hair too. Again, this dusty trip, the wind is blowing. They'd put some oil in their hair just to calm the dust down and put themselves back together. Jesus says, you didn't even give me that. I got nothing from you, Simon. So, so you need to get the impression right from the very start, Simon is saying to Jesus through his actions, welcome to dinner, glad that you came, but don't get too comfortable here because you really don't belong. You're not one of us. Isn't that just the opposite of Jesus' message that we talked about last week? Jesus goes to broken people and he says, you belong here. You all belong here with me. I don't care what what your past is. I don't care how unworthy you might feel. In the family of God, you belong. And that's his message to this woman, right? Jesus is not ignorant of the facts of this woman, as Simon assumed. Remember, this isn't the first time he's met her. He knew she was a prostitute. And not only did he not pull his feet away when she reached out to touch them, but he actually ended up making her the center of attention at this, de- at this meal, at this dinner. He made her the celebrated guest instead of the unwelcome, unwelcome common folk. He gets everybody to look at her. And then he declares to everyone present that she belongs here. She belongs in his presence more than probably any of the rest of them do. More than you, Simon. More than you. She belongs. She belongs in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of God himself, because she knew her sinfulness. And she had learned how to accept Jesus' forgiveness. That's line number three in our common spiritual stories. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. This woman knew she was a sinner. She couldn't hide it. She's a prostitute. The whole city knows it. There is no secret here. She knows how far she's fallen. It's obvious that she's at this dinner that she was not invited, that she's here as a charity case, not as an honored guest. She knew her sin, and she knew her desperate need for salvation. And that... That honest reality is exactly what enables her to move from sinner to saint. Because she could admit her helplessness, because she could admit her own desperation, she could come to Jesus with empty hands, and with empty hands she could receive forgiveness through faith. Simon couldn't do that. Simon the Pharisee, in his mind, 
He's far from helpless. He's far from desperate. Right? He comes to that table. It's his table. It's his party, right? He comes to that table with Jesus with hands full of self-righteous pride. He was more than good enough. More than good enough. He's theologically smart, right? He's trained in scriptures. He knows all the right answers. He's respected and revered throughout the city in religious circles and political circles. He's obedient to the letter of the law that God had laid out. He's one of these Pharisees that, that tithes on every little thing, including the vegetables in his garden. He's observing every Sabbath rule, and he's never touching anything or anyone that's unclean. He's checking off all the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. He's reading his scripture. He's praying every time the call to prayer goes out. He's going to the temple when he's supposed to go to the temple. Of everyone around the table, Simon believed that he needed forgiveness less than everyone else. He believed he was already a saint. And that's exactly what left him a sinner, trapped in his sin. And that's the attitude and perspective on life that so often keeps you and me trapped in our sin and guilt as well. Because we desperately need, we desperately need to be forgiven. But like Simon, so many of us come to God, first of all, pretty confidently. We come to God pretty confident that we aren't all that desperate, right? We're pretty good people. We're doing a lot of good things. And there's a lot of people a lot worse than us. So we come to God pretty confident that we really don't need that much. And secondly, we come with our hands full of all those good things that we've done, all of our good deeds, all our religious badges, thinking somehow God's going to be impressed and somehow God's going to owe us. Not only are we not that desperate in our own minds, but we're actually pretty impressed with all that we do, aren't we? So often we are Simon in this story. We're sitting around the table with Jesus, believing that we're saints with little need for forgiveness. The reality is in this story, if we're going to compare ourselves to anyone, we're the woman. Because each and every one of us, with no exception, is desperate whether we realize it or not, whether we admit it or not. And it's only by faith, only by complete trust in Jesus that we can find forgiveness, right? This woman did not receive forgiveness because of anything she did. Jesus didn't say, you're forgiven because of your great humility in washing my feet. He didn't say, you're forgiven because of your great sacrifice, pouring out that expensive jar of perfume, he tells her what the path of forgiveness is in verse 50. He says, your faith has saved you. Your empty hands, your empty hands that came to receive and trust, that's what saved you. It's faith. And those who honestly receive it, those who know of their desperate need and who realize that there is nothing 
that we can do or have done that will earn forgiveness. Those who humbly come with empty hands to receive it in faith, Jesus says they are the ones who will discover what true love is really all about. Right? Jesus says, after he tells this story to Simon, he says, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Looking at Simon. The other side of that is true as well. He who has been forgiven much loves much. Looking at the woman. Because this woman knew the gift that she had been given. She was an undeserving outsider who had been invited into the family of God. She was a social outcast who had been given a place to belong. She was a condemned sinner who had been transformed into a saved saint. She knows how much she has received. And in return, she can't help but love much. You know, every single one of us here whose spiritual story includes this I was forgiven chapter. Every one of us who has recognized our own spiritual desperation, who have confessed our sins and, and held out our empty hands to receive forgiveness from Jesus' nail-scarred hand. Every single one of us is then a saint by God's grace. Am I a sinner or am I a saint? You know, our common statement of belief, the Heidelberg Catechism answers that question without a doubt. It says this, it says, I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins, nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in his grace, God grants me right, the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. Free forever. Forgiven and set free. That's the powerful grace of God that we receive with empty hands. And Romans then tells us that therefore, therefore, since you received it freely, there is now no condemnation. None. For those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for you in me. And that answers the question of who we are. We aren't saint maybes. We aren't saint hopefullys. You and I are saint definitelys. It's already been decided. It's already been declared by the forgiving grace of God. And that's why we come to this table here this morning. We don't sit around this table as Simon sat around the table. We don't come to receive this means of grace because we're somehow good enough. Because we've done enough. Because we're holy enough. Because God owes us for all that we've done for him. No, absolutely not. We come here to receive the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ with empty hands. We come here desperate. Desperate 
confessing how unworthy we are to be at this table. And so if you don't think you're worthy to be here, if you know you're a sinner, you belong. You belong right here. It's God's message to you. Come with empty hands and experience the forgiveness and the grace of God. And then experience true love because those who are forgiven much, they love much. I'd like to invite the elders and the worship team who are going to help me serve. Would you come forward, please, at this time as we prepare to celebrate communion together? This morning we celebrate the lavish gift of God's grace to us with this communion meal.